Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. The University of Colorado men's basketball team had one of the best seasons in its long history, a 23-9 record, played in the finals of the Pac-12 tournament, a number five seed in the NCAA tournament, a first-round win over Georgetown, and depending on what polls you follow, the Buffaloes were ranked anywhere between 20 and 22 at the end of the year. And their starting center this year was junior Evan Batty. A little crazy to be saying that when you consider what Evan went through just a couple of years ago at the age of 19. We're joined right now by Evan and his mom, Rosalind Lewis, who was so instrumental in nursing Evan back to health and is his greatest fan, not surprisingly. Evan and Roz, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Doing just great. Roz, you? I'm great. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to reunite mother and son from afar because uh, I'm sure you guys don't talk to each other enough. How how often do you communicate to one another during a school year? Uh, I'd say... It may depends on how much schoolwork I have and like where the season's at and everything, but I'd say it's me working two to three times a week. Hey, Roz, because of the pandemic, Evan didn't get a chance to play in the tournament last year. So even though the stands still weren't filled this year and the format was a bit different, all the games being played in Indy, was it still everything you had envisioned in an NCAA tournament, Evan? Yeah, um, by far. And, um, you know, I've heard stories about people playing in the tournament and having the most fun in their lives. And uh, I experienced just that. Rosalind, did you get a chance to go watch your son play in person? Oh, absolutely. I was not going to miss the chance to go see the team play in the big dance. Uh, it's an important event. I told everybody around me so they understood it. And it was great to be there. You've got a big job in California. You're an aerospace engineer. Yet you, throughout his career, you've made it to almost all of Evan's games, home and on the road in college. It must have been torture for you not to be able to watch Evan most of this year because of the pandemic, huh? It was pretty tough, you know. So I had to cancel a whole bunch of flights up through December because as soon as the schedule came out, I'm booking flights. So not being able to go to the games was pretty tough. I'm used to standing up the whole game because I'm usually nervous and dancing the whole game. That's just the way I live it. It's a little bit different when you're at home. Evan, let's talk about what happened when you were 19 years old. You were sitting out your freshman year in Boulder, but you were playing lots of pickup hoops from what I understand. And one day during a pickup game, you collapsed. You were the victim of a stroke of all things. If it's not too painful, um, if you will tell us what was going on that day, how it happened, what you were thinking at the time? Yeah, um, you know, when you first you know, have that sort of thing, you know, you don't really know what to think. So um, I was playing basketball with my friends back home and, um, you know, dribbling the ball. And all of a sudden I couldn't feel the ball as much. So, um, you know, obviously that race and concern on my part, um, you know, just, you know, I'm, you know, I can dribble. So <laughs> I was... You know, just worried uh, at that point, you know, like what's happening. And then when I, um, my friend sat me down, you know, just said, chill out for a little bit. Um, I drink a smoothie. I tried to get back up. 
and then um my like my my right leg wasn't working as well so uh like the complete right side of my body was shut down and um you know in uh also my speech um because the stroke happened on my left side of my brain which controls the speech um which i cross over to the right side of your brain so i couldn't really talk and i couldn't really explain to my friends how or what was happening to me so they were kind of like playing charades at that point you know just trying to like guess like what's going on you know what i'm saying and um you know, it was hard because I I could think what I, what I wanted to say, but I couldn't really say it. So um, that probably was the hardest part for me. Rosalind, how did this information get to you and uh, what happened next? So I was actually in my office right where I am now, and I got a text message, I believe, and from his phone, and he said something to the effect of, I don't know what he said, but I said, call me. And so when the phone rang, it wasn't Evan talking. It was his friends talking. And I said, why are you calling me? And and they said whatever they said. But the thing that sticks in my head is that Evan, they said, Evan's having trouble speaking. And the reason that's important is because it was a couple of months prior when Evan said to me one time, mom, I'm having trouble making sentences. He texted me that and told me that. And so when I heard his friend say he was having trouble speaking, I really didn't know what was wrong, but I knew it needed medical attention. So I was here. I knew I was about 10 minutes away. So my only thought was just to get to him really as fast as I can. So I got in the car and took off. I think if I had known what I know now, I would have just told him to call 911. But fortunately, me getting to him and getting him from at the um, sports facility where he was to the doctor's office was all less than 45 minutes. So the timing was within what you would want to do for a stroke. But it, it, I look back on it now, it's kind of crazy. I'm thinking, what's wrong? And even when I picked him up, I'm looking at him because he was able to walk to the car, but it was clear that he was still suffering because he was having trouble speaking. And I said something to him about that and he couldn't really speak. And, and I made a decision while I'm driving, we're going straight to emergency First, it was going to be urgent care, but it was emergency. But you use the word crazy. I, I can't, as a father, I can't even imagine. Um, as, and, and you hear that your 19-year-old, the picture of perfect health, a scholarship athlete, has a stroke. That's an older person's thing. Was it hard to believe? So when we first got to the hospital, they asked them all kinds of questions. You know, are you on drugs? Are you doing anything? And then when he got there, he really couldn't walk anymore. And so it was really at a short order of time after they went through that protocol of questions that they started looking for stroke. And when they told me stroke, I think I was probably um, in, a, in a state of disbelief and not understanding at all. And then came a whole bunch of decisions that they asked me to make a decision. Can we do this? Can we do that? Because he's not in a position to answer. So we have to ask you. And so they asked me all of these things, and I, and I said to them, what would you do if it was your child? <laughs> that was kind of a little bit out of bounds for me. I did, Not out of bounds in the sense they shouldn't ask. I just hadn't dealt with anything like that before. So I'm, I'm looking at you as a medical professional. If this were your child, what would you do? Wow. So, Evan, it's hard to – I mean, you were amid all this chaos. You don't know what's going on. You cannot speak your thoughts. You're seeing your mom. You're in a hospital. What's going through your mind at this point? 
Um, you know, obviously when they first said uh stroke, they brought me way way down. Um, because you know, I I picture stroke as people or as things that happen to old people. Um, so when I first had, when I first heard stroke, I'm thinking like, wow, this is could be dangerous. This this could be fatal. Because <laughs> you know, all I hear about is people, you know, possibly dying from strokes. So um, I just <laughs> I didn't want my life to end there, obviously. But um, you know, just it's just a, a race of things uh, going through my mind um, at that point when doctors first said stroke, and. Um, I think I, I think I just looked towards my mom and like just in worry, like I don't even know. I can't even remember that far, but um, I definitely was panicking when they said. It. So, so how did mother and son work together to get Evan back on his feet, both literally and figuratively? <laughs> I, I'm gonna start off. Um, you know, I was in the hospital for I think four days and three nights, and um, when I got out, I had to relearn how to talk. Um, basically square one. And um, I, I just remember my mom always telling me, like, you you cannot feel sorry for yourself. Like, you cannot ask why me. You, you cannot, you know, just play the victim. I mean, obviously I am the victim, but, you know, just you, just got, you have to move past it. You know, life goes on. And uh, I think that that's what she was really trying to uh, instill, instill in me. And you know, that resilience and that, um, that fight. So, um, you know, it's hard because, um, you know, it, it seems like I was such, I was at such a loss back then because I couldn't talk. I couldn't, you know, play basketball. I couldn't do anything. So, um, you know, for my mom, it was just starting from square one and kind of instilling those, um, those core values of, you know, just resiliency and, you know, never giving up and all those things. So uh, that's that's when it started. I mean, there's more work to be done after I get out of the hospital. But she said those words to me right when I got out. You know, just, you know, you can't ask why me. You got to keep it moving forward. So, Roslyn, two-parter. First of all, where did that toughness come from to show that in front of your child? And number two, were you the same way behind closed doors? That's an interesting question. Um, and I'm not... I think, it, to be honest with you, the toughness came from um, uh, generations. I grew up with generations of strong women, um, um, and and they always figured out a way to to make it. When Evan first asked me, "Why me?" He was in the hospital room. He was in the hospital bed, and I mustered all of my energy to tell him. Stop asking why me, because you'll never find an answer that's satisfactory to that question. The only thing that matters right now is what do we do next? I left the room and broke down. The other time when I had to kind of muster up that energy is we were leaving. He might not even remember this. When the teams came to L.A., and we were leaving Colorado UCLA game. And he says to me, Mom, will I ever play basketball again? And I stopped and I turned and I said to him, that's totally up to you. Because what I did know is that um, the things that were affected were not going to limit his ability um, to play basketball. I knew he would have some work in terms of developing his speech again, but the brain is a miraculous organ. 
And, and the thing that I am so glad that I did not follow the doctor's advice is that they wanted me to basically kind of keep him home and keep him, you know, I said, can he go back to school? They said, no. I thought in my head, you're crazy. He's going, well, I didn't think it then. But after I had him home for about a week or two, and I saw all of his friends coming over, and the only thing wrong with him is he couldn't speak. I'm like, oh, you're going back to school. And that was probably the best thing that could have happened because getting him back to school into a regular rhythm of class, even though he had support differently than when he was there before, getting him around the team, getting him with the trainers, getting him with the doctors, that was all a part of the recovery. If I had listened to the doctors, I'm quite sure he wouldn't have been able to come back like he did in that short amount of time. Evan, are there any residual effects from the stroke? And what do you have to do going forward to uh, protect against it? Um, so, yeah, um, you know, obviously I'm still working on my speech. Um, it's come a long way. I can't even stress how much it's come along. Um, you know, just thinking about, you know, when I, when I came out the hospital, what I can say and what I can say now. Um, it's just so different. And, um, you know, this, this process and this journey has been so unique. Um, outside of that, though, outside of my speech, uh, I, tell you, I take a baby aspirin every, every morning um, with breakfast just to, um, you know, just kind of break up blood clots if they have them and, you know, just kind of keep away with from that. So, um, you know, it's not a, a strenuous thing. Um, baby aspirin is, I mean, it's not hard. So, um, yeah. Rosalind, I know you told him not to ask why me, but did you ask doctors why this happened? Is there anything hereditary? Is it, is it a family issue? Is it, did it come out of the blue? How does someone at the age of 19 suffer a stroke? So we were there four days, largely because they were trying to figure out what happened. You know, the thing they said to me, if this had been a 60-year-old man, we'd have given him some medicine and sent him home, you know. But they were really trying to figure it out. And so he was walking. This this happened in, in probably like an afternoon. The next day, he was up walking. Not talking, really, but up walking. So those days were all about running tests. They did everything they could possibly think of, a, of to, in terms of tests. And between the neurologist and the cardiologist, they really didn't agree. They really did not agree on what had happened. They had very little data to resort to for a 19-year-old healthy male to kind of even suggest. You know, when we came back to Colorado, I learned that there was a pediatric stroke center at the University of Colorado Denver. Got connected with them and learned about the fact that this does happen to children and adolescents. So, so that could be a little unsettling, but as the time has gone on, um, I'm worried less and less about that. Evan, it sounds like you learned a lot from your wise mother throughout this ordeal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Roz, I'm wondering, what did you learn about your son? <laughs> I learned that um, he's pretty resilient. He had been through um, quite a bit before he got to school. And just in terms of kind of having a, you know, challenging early high school years and then the couple of years where he couldn't play. That was the only other time he said, why is this happening to me? But um he, he's so he's tough, but I also know that he's caring. That's he's always been a caring kid. And so even throughout, you know, his whole ordeal, he never made anyone feel uncomfortable or feel sorry for him. He was always there to, um, 
be supportive of his friends and be connected with his friends. He had as much of a following then. He still has a following. When he sets foot in L.A., everybody shows up. And they showed up then, too. <laughs> I can understand that. And Evan, since recovering and reestablishing yourself as a healthy young man, you've won a number of awards. You've won character awards from teams and leagues. You've won inspirational awards, uh, academic as well. Do you ever say to yourself, okay, enough of the stroke stuff. Stop reminding me. I just want to be a normal 21, 22, 23-year-old now. Yeah, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because me and Mindy, uh, Mindy Sclero, our educational director, if you will, um, we were having a conversation, I think, uh, we were in, in Indianapolis at the tournament, and um, she said to me, some program or some um, foundation is nominating you for an award, and I said, you know, Mindy, I've had enough of these awards, you know. I mean, I've won countless resiliency rewards. So I, I said, you know, maybe I kind of want to just, you know, not be identified with the kid who had a stroke. You know, I feel like I'm so much more than that. I feel like my team has uh, allowed me to be so much more than that. So, um, you know, I said to her, I was like, you know, I'm all, it's always going to be a part of me. And, you know, that's always going to be a part of my journey. But, um, you know, to keep bringing bringing it back up and bringing it back up is kind of, you know, like reliving in the past almost. You don't want it to be your identity. Right. Well, you're a bowler and that's your identity. And I don't know if you caught wind of this, but before your first game, or maybe it was the Florida State game, Charles Barkley talked you up and down, man. Yeah, so I, I saw that clip. How does that make you feel? I mean, just, you know, Charles Barkley, that whole crew, you know, always comments on uh, NBA games and um, just for them to comment on our games, just for them to be watching our games, you know, um, just be commentating on it was special. And then, you know, Charles saying what he said, um, that meant the world, really. So, Hey, Rosalind, um, I've seen your kid. Your kid gets emotional during games, after games. He gets so emotional. I get emotional watching him get emotional. Was he always like that, or do you think that's a result of what he's gone through? So he's always been – Let's put it this way. He's always been, uh, I, when he was little, a happy-go-lucky kid. And I could always tell when there was something wrong with him. Um, and, and so he, when I said he cares about others, he's, he feels for others. He's always been the one that looks out for others. I think he's always been that way. I think he's just more comfortable showing his emotion now. I think he's always been that way, but he shows it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I like my mom said, I was I was very happy when I was young, and you know, but um, you know, my what I've been through, you know, allows me to have a different perspective on life, and it allows me to pr- portray that perspective to my teammates, and to the game, and to you know the fans. So, um, you know, I just, you know, I love my emotions. Wrong. I wouldn't kind of categorize myself as an emotional person, but I'd say that I would. I say that I'm not afraid to let my emotions show. And, you know, I think that that's good. I think that we need more of that in sports and especially in male sports. So, You are returning for your final year of eligibility to University of Colorado, correct? Correct. Okay, so you're also majoring in broadcast journalism. What did you learn from from Vic and I during this interview? And after hearing us stumble our way through this, (laughs) does it give you confidence – that you can do this for a living. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, one thing I uh, noticed when um, you guys are obviously interviewing somebody, uh, you don't obviously like look at you know a set of questions. You kind of just have some thoughts in your mind and you know kind of listen to what people say. You know, kind of play off that. So I mean, I've learned that in school too, but I, I realize you guys are doing it right now. So um, I kind of just you know always take in. Uh, I learn from everybody. Well, th this is not a question. It's more of a, uh, I'm preaching to you. Your mom is an aerospace engineer. We are two schmucks in sports media. What are you thinking, dude? Go become an engineer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as far as my mom. <laughs> uh, Evan and Roz, we, we really appreciate your time. It's a, it's a turning out to be a great story. And it looks like only great things are ahead for, for you, Evan. And Roz, you are, you are one hell of a mother. Let me tell you. Thank you. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turned to because I know the Anschutz campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Lest they made us unstoppable. And they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We're here with Dr. Michelle Leppard. She is a physician at UC Health on the CU Anschutz Medical Campus and an associate professor of neurology at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Dr. Leppard is a specialist in vascular neurology, the brain, the nervous system, and strokes. Hello, Dr. Leppard. Hi. Well, Dr. Leppard, please tell me about your practice at UC Health. What kind of patients do you treat? So we, we see a variety of stroke patients, um, generally anyone that presents to the emergency room or sometimes is transferred to us from another medical facility. And these tend to be patients with acute strokes. Um, we see through their treatment in terms of any interventions that we can perform to help reduce their disability in the long run. And then our second job is to try to figure out why the patients had these strokes so that we can prevent any strokes from happening in the future. Um, Colorado actually has one of the lower incidence of strokes in the country. Um, we think we, we're very thankful that we have a, a very healthy population. However, we see a very high number of strokes still a year, and, and we also see a number of strokes in the young adult population. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about that because we just heard from Evan Batty. He plays basketball at the University of Colorado, a very good player. And he had a pediatric stroke when he was a teenager, 19 years old. And one of the early signs that something was wrong was he started to mispronounce his words. But then the language came back to him. It returned. So he didn't think it was anything serious. A little bit later, however, he started to go numb from head to toe while he was practicing basketball. And he knew then something was terribly wrong. What are some of the other signs that someone might be suffering from a stroke and not something less serious like he at first thought? So um, we have an acronym, and the acronym is FAST. And so we think first of stroke symptoms as um, any facial symptoms, so any asymmetry in your face, particularly in the lower part of your face. The A stands for arm, so any weakness in your arm when you're lifting both arms up in the air. Uh, one arm can have a tendency to drift, and we, we think of that as weakness. S is for speech, and so any alterations in your speech. And these can include 
not being able to find the right words when you're talking, not understanding when someone is talking to you, and also slurred speech. So um, speech that's incoherent or difficult to understand. And then T stands for time where we're really hoping to get treatment to the patient as soon as possible, because um, the more time we lose, unfortunately, the more brain cells get damaged and the disability becomes less and less reversible. All right, so as I said, Evan had the stroke when he was 19 years old. And for a teenager, that's very, very rare from what I understand. After a battery of tests, uh, the doctors still weren't sure what caused it. What do we know about why younger people get strokes? Um, strokes happen for a variety of reasons. And we think of strokes in young adults being those about 45 years old or less. And Evan would certainly qualify in this population and those encompass approximately 15% of all strokes we have in the United States every year. So even at 15%, that's more than 100,000 strokes is going to happen to anyone in the young adult population, meaning that they're 45 years old or less. And I think that what's very difficult about this population is that they have all the etiologies of stroke in, the, in children and also all the etiology of stroke that we find in adults. And so some of the etiologies that we find in children include infections that can infect the blood vessel. Um, they include congenital heart diseases. They include um, some clotting disorders that sometimes are genetic. And then the risk factors we find in adults are the things that we typically think of and associate with strokes. So diabetes, high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol, and those type of risk factors. And the young adult population kind of are at the intersect of all these risk factors. And so there, there are a huge list. And in fact, there are over 140 the, at the last count, different reasons that a young person can have a stroke. And so it makes the workup very challenging in terms of all the tests that we can potentially order to find out why the patient might have had a stroke in the first place. Well, is there anything a young person can do, a young person specifically, to prevent a stroke? I think that the first and most important thing is the awareness and knowing that just because you're a young person, you're, you're certainly not immune from a stroke and taking your symptoms very seriously. I think in the case of Evan, what we can learn is a large number of people before the stroke actually happens, they sometimes have transient neurological symptoms and what we call TIA or a transient ischemic attack and where the blood is only transiently occluded and they can have symptoms like Evan had where he had difficulty with his speech, which quickly went away and resolved. Um, I think the important thing to remember is that if these symptoms do occur, that to take them very seriously and do go get checked out, even if you recovered completely, because sometimes we can see tears in the blood vessel or blood clots hang out in the arteries that could potentially um, result in a stroke if left untreated. On the podcast, we were joined by Evan's mom, and she had said she rushed to see what was going on because she got a phone call from one of Evan's friends when it happened, and she thought about taking him to the emergency room, uh, but then she wishes instead she had called 911 to get him there faster instead of taking him there herself. What, what advice can you give somebody when they think someone they know might be experiencing a stroke? If you were with somebody who is experiencing a stroke, what's the first thing you should do? I think that her inclination was right in that sometimes when we think of something bad happening, we want to shove someone in the car and drive into the emergency room. In fact, calling 911 um, absolutely is the right thing to do. 
And the main reason for that is because not all centers and not all medical centers in the United States are, are equally equipped to handle an acute stroke. We have different stroke designations in, in terms of primary care stroke centers or comprehensive stroke centers because they have different capabilities in terms of the types of stroke that they can handle. And the only way to know where the right place to go the quickest is to call 911, and that 911 dispatch can alert the medical center that a stroke, a potentially large stroke, is coming in through the door. In that case, um, stroke specialists like myself are notified in advance of the patient getting to an emergency room. And it does save precious time um, in terms of getting the patient to the scanner and getting them on the right intervention as quickly as possible. Doctor, are there any new tests or new devices that can foretell that a stroke is coming on, whether it be in a teenager or somebody older? I wish there was. And in fact, um, right now we're, we're looking, one of my research interests is in young adult strokes, and we're doing a deep dive into the data that we have of the stroke um, claims in Colorado. And we're trying to figure out what are the more common causes of strokes. Like I mentioned, there could be 140 different causes of strokes in, in the young, particularly in Colorado, and, and potentially um, nationwide. And unfortunately, right now, we don't have a test. I would say that anyone with a family history of stroke should be particularly vigilant. Um, anyone with a history of having blood clots or um, of a known um, genetic condition, such as a congenital heart disease, should be particularly vigilant. Um, and asking their doctor and having these conversations about are there any types of prevention that would be appropriate, like taking a baby aspirin every day, um, particular to their medical condition that might reduce their risk of strokes in the future? Last thing, doctor, in somebody uh, like Evan Batty's case, stroke at 19 years old, once he's recovered from that stroke, what's the likelihood that he might suffer another stroke? Is this something he has to worry about throughout the rest of his life? Unfortunately, um, anytime you've suffered one stroke, you're always at higher risk than your peers. So say someone who never had a stroke in the first place from developing another stroke in the future. So I would say that, yes, you know, I would follow very closely with a, a doctor and then potentially also a stroke doctor as an outpatient. Um, the good news in his case is in the, in the cases where we do a thorough workup in a young person after stroke and we are failed to find any reason they actually have a less chance of recurrence of having another stroke than if we found, you know, a reason and potentially a reason that we couldn't control. Um, and those could be genetic reasons that there is no therapy for. So I, I, I'm pretty optimistic not having met him, but learned how his story about his future outlook. Um, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about his functional recovery, obviously, and that I think that, you know, as long as he stays vigilant, that he, you know, is very aware attuned to his symptoms. And he, you know, at any time, unfortunately, in the future, if it does happen again, I know that he'll seek help right away. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic to the, all the things that he'll accomplish. That's good to hear. Dr. Leopard, thank you very much for your time and your insight. No problem. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable Podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. 
Subscribe today.